Book Two, Chapters Ten and Eleven of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Coleman. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus. Translated by William Whiston. Book Two, Chapters Ten and Eleven. Chapter Ten. Caius commands that his statue should be set up in the temple itself, and what Petronius did thereupon. Now Caius Caesar did so grossly abuse the fortune he had arrived at, as to take himself to be a god, and to desire to be so called also, and to cut off those of the greatest nobility out of his country. He also extended his impiety as far as the Jews. Accordingly, he sent Petronius with an army to Jerusalem to place his statues in the temple, and commanded him that, in case the Jews would not admit of them, he should slay those that opposed it, and carry all the rest of the nation into captivity. But God concerned himself with these his commands. Footnote. Tacitus owns that Caius commanded the Jews to place his effigies in their temple, though he be mistaken when he adds that the Jews thereupon took arms. End footnote. However, Petronius marched out of Antioch into Judea, with three legions, and many Syrian auxiliaries. Now as to the Jews, some of them could not believe the stories that spake of a war, but those that did believe them were in the utmost distress how to defend themselves, and the terror diffused itself presently through them all, for the army was already come to Ptolemaeus. This Ptolemaeus is a maritime city of Galilee, built in the great plain. It is encompassed with mountains, that on the east side, sixty furlongs off, belongs to Galilee, but that on the south belongs to Carmel, which is distant from it a hundred and twenty furlongs, and that on the north is the highest of them all, and is called by the people of the country the Ladder of the Tyrians, which is at the distance of a hundred furlongs. The very small river Belus runs by it, at the distance of two furlongs. Footnote. This account of a place near the mouth of the river Belus in Venetia, whence came that sand, out of which the ancients made their glass, is a known thing in history, particularly in Tacitus and Strabo, and more largely in Pliny, End footnote. near which there is Memnon's monument. Footnote. This Memnon had several monuments, and one of them appears, both by Strabo and Diodorus, to have been in Syria, and not improbably in this very place. End footnote. And hath near it a place no larger than a hundred cubits, which deserves admiration, for the place is round and hollow, and affords such sand as glass is made of, which place, when it hath been emptied by the many ships there loaded, it is filled again by the winds which bring into it, as it were on purpose, that sand which lay remote, and was no more than bare common sand, while this mine presently turns it into glassy sand. And what is to me still more wonderful, that glassy sand which is superfluous, and is once removed out of the place, becomes bare common sand again. 
and this is the nature of the place we are speaking of. But now the Jews got together in great numbers with their wives and children, into that plain that was by Ptolemaeus, and made supplication to Petronius, first for their laws, and in the next place for themselves. So he was prevailed upon by the multitude of the supplicants, and by their supplications, and left his army and the statues at Ptolemaeus, and then went forward into Galilee, and called together the multitude and all the men of note to Tiberius, and showed them the power of the Romans and the threatenings of Caesar, and besides this proved that their petition was unreasonable, because while all the nations in subjection to them had placed the images of Caesar in their several cities, among the rest of their gods, for them alone to oppose it was almost like the behaviour of revolters, and was injurious to Caesar. And when they insisted on their law, and the custom of their country, and how it was not only not permitted them to make either an image of God, or indeed of a man, and to put it in any despicable part of their country, much less in the temple itself, Petronius replied, And am not I also, said he, bound to keep the law of my own lord, for if I transgress it, and spare you, it is but just that I perish, while he that sent me, and not I, will commence a war against you, for I am under command as well as you. Hereupon, the whole multitude cried out that they were ready to suffer for their law. Petronius then quieted them, and said to them, Will you then make war against Caesar? The Jews said, We offer sacrifices twice every day for Caesar, and for the Roman people. But that, if he would place the images among them, he must first sacrifice the whole Jewish nation, and that they were ready to expose themselves, together with their children and wives, to be slain. At this, Petronius was astonished, and pitied them, on account of the inexpressible sense of religion the men were under, and that courage of theirs which made them ready to die for it. So they were dismissed without success. But on the following days, he got together the men of power privately, and the multitude publicly, and sometimes he used persuasions to them, and sometimes he gave them his advice. But he chiefly made use of threatenings to them, and insisted upon the power of the Romans, and the anger of Caius. And besides, upon the necessity he was himself under, to do as he was enjoined, but as they could be no way prevailed upon, and he saw that the country was in danger of lying without tillage, for it was about seed-time that the multitude continued for fifty days together idle, so he at last got them together, and told them that it was best for him to run some hazard himself, for either, by the divine assistance, I shall prevail with Caesar, and shall myself escape the danger as well as you, which will be matter of joy to us both, or 
in case Caesar continue in his rage, I will be ready to expose my own life for such a great number as you are. Whereupon he dismissed the multitude, who prayed greatly for his prosperity, and he took the army out of Ptolemais and returned to Antioch, from whence he presently sent an epistle to Caesar, and informed him of the eruption he had made into Judea, and of the supplications of the nation, and that unless he had a mind to lose both the country and the men in it, he must permit them to keep their law, and must countermand his former injunction. Caius answered that epistle in a violent way, and threatened to have Petronius put to death for his being so tardy in the execution of what he had commanded. But it happened that those who brought Caius's epistle were tossed by a storm and were detained on the sea for three months, while others that brought the news of Caius's death had a good voyage. Accordingly, Petronius received the epistle concerning Caius seven and twenty days before he received that which was against himself. Chapter 11 Concerning the government of Claudius and the reign of Agrippa Concerning the deaths of Agrippa and of Herod and what children they both left behind them now when Caius had reigned three years and eight months, and had been slain by treachery, Claudius was hurried away by the armies that were at Rome to take the government upon him. But the Senate, upon the reference of the consuls, Sextus Saturninus and Pomponius Secundus, gave orders to the three regiments of soldiers that stayed with them to keep the city quiet, and went up into the capital in great numbers, and resolved to oppose Claudius by force, on account of the barbarous treatment they had met with from Caius, and they determined either to settle the nation under an aristocracy, as they had of old been governed, or at least to choose by vote such a one for emperor, as might be worthy of it. Now it happened that at this time Agrippa sojourned at Rome, and that both the senate called him to consult with them, and at the same time Claudius sent for him out of the camp, that he might be serviceable to him, as he should have occasion for his service. So he, perceiving that Claudius was in effect made Caesar already, went to him, who sent him as an ambassador to the senate, to let them know what his intentions were, that, in the first place, it was without his seeking that he was hurried away by the soldiers, Moreover, that he thought it was not just to desert those soldiers in such their zeal for him, and that if he should do so, his own fortune would be in uncertainty, for that it was a dangerous case to have been once called to the empire. He added further that he would administer the government as a good prince, and not like a tyrant, for that he would be satisfied with the honour of being called emperor, but would, in every one of his actions, permit them all to give him their advice. For that although he had not been by nature for moderation, yet would the death of Caius afford him a sufficient demonstration how soberly he ought to act in that station. This message was delivered by Agrippa, to which the Senate replied, 
that since they had an army, and the wisest counsels on their side, they would not endure a voluntary slavery. And when Claudius heard what answer the Senate had made, he sent Agrippa to them again, with the following message, that he could not bear the thoughts of betraying them that had given their oaths to be true to him, and that he saw he must fight, though unwillingly, against such as he had no mind to fight. That, however, if it must come to that, it was proper to choose a place without the city for the war, because it was not agreeable to piety to pollute the temples of their own city with the blood of their own countrymen, and this only on occasion of their imprudent conduct. And when Agrippa had heard this message, he delivered it to the senators. In the meantime, one of the soldiers belonging to the senate drew his sword, and cried out, O oh, my fellow soldiers, what is the meaning of this choice of ours, to kill our brethren, and to use violence to our kindred that are with Claudius? Well, we may have him for our emperor, whom no one can blame, and who hath so many just reasons to lay claim to the government, and this with regard to those against whom we are going to fight. When he had said this, he marched through the whole senate, and carried all the soldiers along with him. Upon which all the patricians were immediately in a great fright at their being thus deserted. But still, because there appeared no other way whither they could turn themselves for deliverance, they made haste the same way with the soldiers, and went to Claudius. But those that had the greatest luck in flattering the good fortune of Claudius betimes, met them before the walls with their naked swords, and there was reason to fear that those that came first might have been in danger, before Claudius could know what violence the soldiers were going to offer them, had not Agrippa ran before, and told him what a dangerous thing they were going about, and that unless he restrained the violence of these men, who were in a fit of madness against the patricians, he would lose those on whose account it was most desirable to rule, and would be emperor over a desert. When Claudius heard this, he restrained the violence of the soldiery, and received the senate into the camp, and treated them after an obliging manner, and went out with them presently to offer their thank-offerings to God, which were proper upon his first coming to the empire. Moreover, he bestowed on Agrippa his whole paternal kingdom immediately, and added to it, besides those countries that had been given by Augustus to Herod, Trachonitis and Orinitis, and still besides these, that kingdom which was called the kingdom of Lysanias. This gift he declared to the people by a decree, but ordered the magistrates to have the donation engraved on tables of brass, and to be set up in the capital. He bestowed on his brother Herod, who was also his son-in-law by marrying his daughter Bernice, the kingdom of Chalcis. So now riches flowed into Agrippa by his enjoyment of so large a dominion. Nor did he abuse the money he had on small matters, but he began to encompass Jerusalem with such a wall, which, had it been brought to perfection, had made it impracticable for the Romans to take it by siege. But his death, which happened at Caesarea, before he had raised the walls to their due height, prevented him. He had then reigned three years, as he had governed his tetrarchies three other years, 
he left behind him three daughters born to him by Cypros, Bernice, Mariamne, and Drusilla, and a son born of the same mother, whose name was Agrippa. He was left a very young child, so that Claudius made the country a Roman province, and sent Cuspius Fadus to be its procurator, and after him Tiberius Alexander, who, making no alterations of the ancient laws, kept the nation in tranquillity. Now after this, Herod the king of Chalcis died, and left behind him two sons, born to him of his brother's daughter Bernice. Their names were Berenicianus and Hyrcanus. He also left behind him Aristobulus, whom he had by his former wife Mariamne. There was besides another brother of his that died a private person. His name was also Aristobulus, who left behind him a daughter, whose name was Jotapi. And these, as I have formerly said, were the children of Aristobulus, the son of Herod, which Aristobulus and Alexander were born to Herod by Mariamne, and were slain by him. But as for Alexander's posterity, they reigned in Armenia. End of Book 2 Chapters 10 and 11